Hello, and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. Well, not that much literary merit today, because it's time to get silly and answer questions from the audience. Welcome to the episode 40 extravaganza, listeners! I'm Alex. Hi, guys! What's up? I'm Freya. What be fucked, mate? I'm Macy. What's up, danger? <laughs> uh, we are three redheaded <laughs> fantasy authors, and do we have some actual questions for our listeners, <laughs> and not those based on whatever we have been shouting about on Twitter this week? <laughs> I, I think we do have some actual questions. My actual question for you, listeners, is what's your favorite kind of cake? Mm, my question. Rejection cake. Rejection, Rejection cake. cake. That yes. is our favorite type of cake. <laughs> my question for you is which rom-com or fanfic trope would be the most annoying if it actually happened to you in real life, even if it did end up with mm. you falling in love? Mm. Mm. Good question. Uh, I'm Macy still, and my question, darling listeners, for you and there will be a poll, is, do I know what I'm doing with my life? Please feel free to write in. That is a good question. Answers on a postcard. Yes, I have ice cream that I'm eating today. That's just mean, because Alex mm -hmm. did not bring enough to share. Well, I have coffee. This is hilarious, because Alex is wearing probably as little as humanly possible and has the air conditioning going, and I am rugged up in like five layers (laughs) hugging coffee. Yes, darling listeners, you have to understand that today your serpents are being played by the three little bears from Goldilocks. Yes. Well. And Macy is just right and is very smug about this fact and will now be talking in third person. Ugh. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Do we have some stuff? We have some stuff. First of all, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I'm going through another queer romances phase. And I've read a few really good ones recently. I enjoyed Hither Page, which is the new Cat Sebastian. And this mm. is a cozy English village murder mystery that just happens to be Love stuffed those. full of queer people. Yeah, it was it was really nice. lovely. The thing that I the thing that I appreciate about that is that Hither Page is a reference to um, the Christmas Carol Good King Wenceslas, which is the gayest Christmas yeah. Carol. And yes, and it is set during Christmas time in a small village, and one of the characters is called Leo Page. Go oh, for mm. heaven's sake! It works <laughs> on all the levels. <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> and I also fine. read. The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite, which is the first FF historical to be brought out by Avon. Hmm. And it is about embroidery and lady astronomers and the difference and the similarities between art and science. It's quite domestic, Hmm. like it's fairly low tension, but it turns out I can deal with low tension romance if the people involved are (laughs) science lesbians. So (laughs) highly recommend that as well. And I also finally listened to an audio drama podcast that I'd been meaning to listen to for a while called Kaleidotrope. This Mm. is a quite short sort of 10 episode season of about half an hour episodes each. And it's a fake radio show set on a fake university where the idea is that there is a magic spell at this university where everybody finds their trope and their OTP. And so the two presenters Mm. obviously fall in love over the course of it, but they also deal with text-in questions from people who are doing things like falling (laughs) in love with their barista or having to be a fake girlfriend at someone else's wedding. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. That that sounds delightful. I think Alex, also, Alex, you would really like this. There's a lot of uh, examination of the difference between like free will and trope and a lot of really mm. fun romancy tropey things. Macy, I think there is possibly a little bit too much sincerely expressed emotion for you. I had to almost Ye- turn it off a few times. I think Ye- you <laughs> might like squirm out of your chair, but it's very sweet. I appreciate the warning. Also, I am feeling extremely attacked by the fact that you have consumed all of this in the past week because I was feeling proud of myself, listeners, because in the last week I read the entirety of Jen Lyon's Ruin of Kings. Well done. That is quite a large book. It's a very large book. It's a very, very large book. It's it's large. Um, It is not only thick, but 
like tall and wide also it's large in all yeah. dimensions and just i want i want to um specify when you say thick you mean thick with two c's right of course and tall spelled t-o-l yes yeah yes and i just want to make sure I don't think we're going to bring in fashion spelling wide W-I-Y-D, but we can try. Um, mm. No, but listeners, really though, um, this is a book in which a lot of things happen and the main character, Kieran, just can't get a break. Like, this boy probably didn't deserve most of what happened to him. He deserved some of it, but boy golly, does a lot of it happen in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good protagonist. Lots of shit happens. Things sure yep, lot lot lots of shit happens. Alex, what have you been reading? Well, I just finished the ice cream that I was eating. Hold on one second. <laughs> Thank you for that update. Alex is now licking the ice cream wrapper at us tauntingly, like the well, cat you know. that Alex is at heart. Yep. So, dear listeners, if you have been following <laughs> me on social media, you know that I am still hardcore on my good omens bullshit. Yep. I have been doing my valiant best to drag the Good Omens fandom into weirder waters. <laughs> As I have been reading a lot of fic, I have noticed that a lot of people tend to write very human sort of sex between these two characters that I ship as Ace. I I'm fine with reading the like. I have I have made you will my throw yourself like, I ship them that. as sword. Yeah, I, I ship them as Ace, but I'm still reading the smut because I'm a weak bitch for intimacy. That's fair. Um, we all know this about me. Did you me. read um, Raven? Single quotes fake. Yes, I did. Good, good, good. Just as they were posted, she uh, she tagged me in all of them. <laughs> they they tagged you. Yeah. Oh, they tagged me. Yep. Um, Just checking. They tagged me in all of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think that they should be having more weird metaphysical sex, like trans-dimensional extraplanar sex, or go home. Uh, and I'm snakes licking the wing eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Like seventeen wings and thirty-seven <laughs> eyeballs between the two of them. Yeah, the whole deal. Uh, so that's been my little crusade recently. Uh, I want to give a particular shout out to a couple of fantastic fix that I have read this week. Uh, Salinity and Other Measures of Brackish Water by Drawlight. A Stone's Throw from Jerusalem by R.C. McLachlan. And Two Fish by Grindylo. And The Mortifying Ordeal of Being Known, open brackets, biblically close brackets by Flip Spring. <laughs> that is a great title. Thank you. <laughs> good, good title. It's a good title. <laughs> Those are all fantastic fics, and I uh, recommend all of them highly. And we have a piece of news. We do. We do. So our news, which is very exciting for us, and we hope for you as well, <laughs> is that we will be doing a live recording of a show at Worldcon. Yay! Yay! Live <laughs> show! Live show! Uh, look, I won't announce the actual time of it today in case it does actually change between mm -hmm. now and the program going live but you'll be able to find it on the program that we will be sitting down in person attempting to record sitting next to each other on separate mics god knows how that will go but we don't we're going to give it a shot yeah. yeah and we are very excited about it so if you are coming to worldcom please come and check us out and watch us make faces at each other in person in person there are a lot more faces than you can really grasp through the transcripts yeah, or the audio like, there's a lot of faces, yeah, so, particularly like, like, when Alex is announcing the beginning of the episode. Yep. yep. And also, yep. like, Freya will be answering something and Macy and I will be going on, like, a whole face journey together <laughs> that you never get to see. It's silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's secret hand signs. Uh-huh. Yep. There are. Uh-huh. So come uh -huh. to our live show, but learn all of the secrets. Because we're bringing the snakes back to Ireland. Amazing. Fantastic. Let's have <laughs> yeah. a fucking episode. Let's have a fucking episode. I think I'm in charge. I'm driving. You are driving. At least for the first bit. Yes. As you well know, darling listeners, this is our extravaganza, and it's time for your questions. First up, Britt Knowles asks, if you were a Dungeons & Dragons character, what race and class would you be? So this is an interesting question, because uh, right before we started recording, Macy and Freya came to me and said, Alex, we don't know what a Dungeons or a Dragons is. Uh, you must explain it. <laughs> um, I have played Dungeons and Dragons zero times. I have DM'd Dungeons and Dragons oh twice. Um, I also listened to uh, The Adventure Zone, so I feel like... And I watched the whole first season of... Uh, or the first game of Critical Role. 
which is like hundreds and hundreds of hours. So I know a bit about like the dungeons and the dragons and also the dragons. <laughs> it's where you put dragons in dungeons, right? right? Like it's like a like those little kids toys with the blocks and the shape holes. Yeah. And you try to put the right dungeon in the right place. Oh, yeah, about like the other way. I was thinking about like so. Polly Pocket. <laughs> like you open your yeah. Polly Pocket and it's a dungeon and there's tiny little dragons that you can move around. Yes. You guys are both so wholesome. <laughs> I just want to, you know, commend you for your wholesomeness here. So Dungeons and Dragons is a cool wow. tabletop gaming thing for nerds. Uh, that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Alex, what class and race are you, friend? So I'm a half elf and I am multi-classed cleric and bard. I believe that. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. What well, what are you so guys? Freya and I found God. Well, Freya <laughs> found us on the internet a meme. We have a, a meme, a beautiful <laughs> Twitter tag yourself meme, which I have inspected <laughs> thoroughly and decided on the basis of I am. Oh, was it multi-classed monk and wizard? Good job Ooh. learning the jargon so quickly, Freya. So there proud. I have zero Especially- opinions about races because I don't know anything about why you choose one over the other. So let's just go with human for Freya's now. Freya's clearly an elf. You think elf? Freya's just an elf in general. Life, elf in general. Okay, elf, monk slash wizard. Done. You you do the twirly sport thing. Like, I feel like figure skaters and ballerinas are elves mm. just by default. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yep, that's fair. Also, also people who fight with like sword epee things, them also elves. Sure, sure. Macy, <laughs> am I getting? Am I allowed Macy. to get, get like a halfling vibe for Macy? Is that like gardeny? I'm sort of getting sure. a halfling vibe for Macy as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I meanwhile, by this holy meme, have been sorted. Why are you calling it a meme? <laughs> <laughs> to be funny. <laughs> All right, I can pronounce it properly if you'd like. No, you do, you girl. In this mem, I have been sorted. <laughs> Listen, the French are a noble language. Sure. <laughs> mimi. A mem. Mem. Sur la mem, uh, il dit que je suis... Macy. <laughs> the meme says that I am a bard because the primary characteristic of a bard is for fuck's sake, puns for days... And a mess. Yep, yeah, that's correct. you. That's that's just about you. That's that's just how I be, as we are demonstrating. Well, this podcast right is already a disaster. Let's just <laughs> yeah, move that along was question with our number lives. one. Let's move on. was question that was number question one. number one, dear listeners. We're sorry. We'll see if we survive the rest. <laughs> we haven't even been drinking on this. No, one. No, we're completely sober today, except for my completely. Sober. You know, having the ice cream shakes now. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. Question number two. So Lizbeth from Estonia emailed us some questions for episode 30, but unfortunately missed the deadline by like two hours. Uh, So we want to give like a special showcase to uh, Lizbeth's question here. Uh, How do you select your episode tent poles and topics? Do you first have a topic and then the tent poles? Or do you have a book slash fic slash show that you really want to discuss and then find a topic? Um, Related to this question... Uh, Beatrice Babe on Tumblr also asks, do you have any plans to do a Good Omens episode? Or, barring that, an episode on adaptations, book to movie, or vice versa, and what makes for a good adaptation? Discuss! So, I think that when we first started the podcast, one of the things that we did was we sat down and we just splurged a list of all of the fanfics that we felt were like seminal classics mm-hmm. of the genre. Seminal. So to speak. <laughs> seminal. <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> oh, we, we got a face palm from Freya. We broke, Freya. <laughs> we broke her. <laughs> I thought you, I just needed to throw I was that just one filled out there. with pride. There we go. <laughs> the dick joke made yeah. by someone else. Continue. <laughs> this is a semen a dick joke. It's fine. Um, Anyway, we we went through and we said, you know, we definitely want to do a written by the victors episode. Um, And then I think a lot of the times it was me, but also you two. It's like, what do we build around this? How do we pull a theme out of this particular work? Yeah, and I think we still do that to a certain extent, except now it's gotten to the point where one of us will just throw something onto the document and say, I have to make you two read this and I'm going to make (laughs) you read this by tentpoling it, (laughs) which is how I'm going to make you two 
read oh, the Megan Whalen oh. Turner books. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Macy is just making horrible faces. I'm going to make it happen but because business. I'm going to tent pole have- Queen of Atolia. Well, here's the thing. Business. You have to understand that I own this book. And I have had a bookmark in page 36 for 18 months after the last time I tried to read it and got 12 pages further than the the bookmark that was on page 24 before then. That's the thief, though. So here's the thing. I am always so grateful (laughs) when Freya's like, I'm going to make you read this thing. And I am like, well, you'd better find a way to make it a tentpole because I only have time to read things that are tentpoles these days. (laughs) That's also fair. So to answer the question... At this point, it is mostly that we pick something that we think we could have an interesting discussion about, and then we try and find one or two tentpoles that are in different media. So if we yeah. have a fanfic tentpole, we'll try and find either a published short story or a published book. And then well, sometimes we'll have one of each, and sometimes we'll have movies. Um, yeah, mostly it's sort of building up from the core thing that we think would make an interesting episode. Yeah, yeah. Recently, I think it, we've become a little bit more focused on like the core theme um because mm-hmm. i know sometimes we have i've been watching a thing and have been going and have said like oh we should totally do an episode on this theme but then that yes. thing that i was watching does not actually become one of the tentpoles it just sort of like that's true. inspires the theme and then we find better tentpoles to fit it um i feel like spies was maybe like that. i think spies was like that yeah, yeah. and our world building yeah. episodes are often because we were inspired by a particular thing that does that world building thing well mm. uh, what by whereas mm. like the last episode that we did on world building which was magical systems i think we took a little while to find the temples yes. for that one because we knew we wanted to talk about that in particular uh but finding temples that we thought would make good uh contrasts and make good discussion points mm-hmm. took us a little bit longer so to answer right. Beatrice Babe's question from Tumblr, do you have any plans to do a Good Omens episode? It's very possible because we all love Good Omens quite a lot, but we yep. would have to find like a theme that it fits really well. Well, Macy will sulk if we try to do this before we have some good meaty 20,000 word long Good Omens fix. Yes. Yes. There's a couple. But yeah, I believe you, it, but like not for new omens. Right, right. Like I think the good omens fandom is in like this amazing, wonderful renaissance right now. We're going to give right. it a couple months to like settle out and for the cream to rise to the top, as it were. Um, and then we may, we may like, well, we look could, into... yeah, we could try and wait for a really long good one to arrive and then we can yeah. do a deep dive on it with Ooh, sprinklings that would be of fun. the good omens fandom in general. We'll see, we'll see. But I think, I think the episode it is not unlike. I think an episode on adaptations is something that we have possibly tossed around before. Possibly. I want to say we have something on the list, maybe. But you have to understand, listeners, we kind of have plans for, like, the next three episodes really solidly, like, maybe as many as five. And then after that, it's kind of, like, a jumbled junkyard of joy. Yeah, I think we have, like, 30 possible themes to choose from. And some of them have been there since the first month of the podcast, and we've just never gotten around to them. (laughs) That's yeah, yeah. We we do as the mood strikes. <laughs> yeah, us. basically. Yeah. Um, just so that you know, listeners, there are six thousand words in our planning document Jesus. right now, and we delete episode plans from that doc each time. Yep. So, like, that's just our future planning. <laughs> yep. Oof. Um, uh. So, next question. So, this one is yep. it's, it's kind of related, I think. Uh, Jesse mm. asks. I know that the show tends to avoid discussing RPF, so real people fic. What's the difference, if any, between RPF and using historical figures in profic or fanfic? Is it a matter Mm. of distance in time, so living versus dead, author's living memory versus before? And is there a difference in the kinds of stories told, or are we just talking about the same thing with older wardrobes? (laughs) For me, there's a big difference, and what it is is the potential to impact someone who is alive and going about their life. Agree. I am definitely not against RPF, but in a weird way I'm against promoting RPF, and I think that most RPF writers kind of want it that way. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I we had discussed so many things on this podcast, but I think that RPF is kind of the one thing that we all agreed that maybe we'll just sort of, like, keep away from this, because it has so many implications and as you say may say it can like impact a real person's actual life yeah i think if you're if you're writing about like kit Marlowe and shakespeare i think everyone will agree that that's kind of you know there are yeah. entire published pro books about kit Marlowe and shakespeare fictionalized versions thereof nobody's really going to complain but i but agree people I think who are RPF, alive rpf especially yeah. about people that are alive i have no objection to it i have read it um 
Yes. If I've written it, I've kept it locked on AO3, and I agree that it should not be sort of widely publicized in such a way that may come to the attention of the people involved because it's not about Mm -hmm. them like it's about character it's about a certain facet of whatever that person's uh facade that they present to the world snagging on something that people find narratively interesting and wanting to tell stories about it and this is why i'm actually super uncomfortable with the movie the social network oh yeah um, and some other like biopics that are clearly highly fictionalized. I'm like, eh, did you have to? Yeah, this is why I'm looking. <laughs> did this you is why I'm to? looking forward to seeing Rocket Man because Rocket Man is essentially Elton John writing a like fanfic version of his own previous <laughs> life because he was so heavily That's involved in the movie. And I've heard it's very good. <laughs> All right, shall yes, we? We shall. All right. So Felicia asks, "What are your favorite metaphorical weddings or marriages?" Uh, well. I'm firmly on my Good Omens bullshit this week. And so yeah, mine yes, is to the world. Uh, right from the very <laughs> end of the very last episode. Uh, you might not see it necessarily as a metaphorical wedding, but it kind of is because it's kind of like this culmination of their relationship where they're finally like on the same side and pointed in the same direction. And like looking forward to like eternity together in love. <laughs> and there's a champagne toast. And there's a champagne toast. Yeah, there's so, a champagne yep, toast. Yep, that's my so answer. So speaking of trappings of weddings that are used in a metaphorical sense, surprising <laughs> absolutely no one, Freya is going to talk about Captive Prince. Take a drink. <laughs> Take a drink. Take a drink. So my favorite... And also Heroes Gamos. Sorry? Yes. Heroes Gamos, yes. Take a drink for Heroes Gamos as well. Go ahead, Freya. <laughs> Thank you. So my favorite thing that is done in Captive Prince that is the metaphorical marriage is obviously the gold cuffs. Mm-hmm. So when Damon mm-hmm. is taken as a slave, mm-hmm. he has these gold slave cuffs put on and at a certain point he ha- can have them removed but decides to keep one of them on as a reminder, capital R, reminder, slash reminder. obviously token of his feelings. Uh, and then he gives one of them back to Laurent in public and Laurent lets him put it on him in public at a time when their relationship is kind of strained and it's so good. It's so good. (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) Uh, Whereas I am useless and could not come up with anything. So I was talking about um, some of the like marriages that I actually really enjoy in fic and I was thinking of Astolat's Steve Sam stories. I have an answer for you. It's it's oh. also Astolat. Um, dangerous if unbound. Listen, friend. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's a there's a lot of soul bondy type shit that is a very metaphorical wedding. Look, Astolat really likes marriages. Okay, Astolat has like saved the entirety of the Game of Thrones plot by marrying people off at least three times. She's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, next question is from uh, Hilary Besenyaks. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I know we asked you how to pronounce your name before, but I have forgotten. I'm sorry. Uh, he asks, what other writing and SFF podcasts slash media do you like? Um, real quick, I just want to give a shout out to Hillary because apparently he has started a podcast that was inspired by us. Uh, and he just told us on Twitter today and I was so incredibly like touched and flattered. Uh, so go listen to his podcast. It's called Tales from the Trunk and it is, I think, authors like reading stories mm-hmm. that they have, uh, trunked that will never otherwise see the light of day, uh, and talking about craft and stuff. It sounds super cool. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, but check it out. Um, as for listening to podcasts, like I just said, I haven't checked it out yet because I'm very bad at keeping up with things. Um, but podcasts that I have enjoyed in the past, uh, Welcome to Night Vale, Wolf 359, and The Adventure Zone. Um, I listen to not as many in the way of narrative or fictionalized podcasts, but I listen to a lot of podcasts about the writing industry, um, mostly from either a romance or an SFS perspective. So I think my favorite for industry uh, is Print Run, which is by two agents uh, in the Twin Cities, and Shipping mm. and Handling, which is by two literary agents in New York. And they talk a lot about a lot of like what's happening happening in publishing and uh, controversial things that are going on in the publishing world, but also talking about books they've read and shipping as well. And I like uh, Cameron Hurley's podcast. doesn't update it very often, but it's called Get to Work Hurley and is sort of good quality, angry shouting slash craft thoughts. Excellent. 
and cool. <clears throat> very cool because the hurly bird gets the worm is that right. direct from the from the podcast <laughs> that's no, just you you're just, you're just punning pun. you're just punning ignore just her punning. Uh, <laughs> and of course galactic suburbia which is an australian sff podcast with three uh, australian ladies presenting that I think that's all. I think the other ones I have on my list are all sort of more romancey than SFF. I think that Freya stole several of the ones that I listen to, though I am also not that great at keeping up to date. But I also really enjoy Welcome to Night Vale, mm-hmm. um, which if you haven't li- haven't listened to that, is amazing and weird and creepy and romantic, weirdly. Yep. And I also really enjoy Philosophize This which is a podcast about like the origins of Greek philosophy. Oh, that sounds nifty. Yes, it's super fun. I think it goes all the way through philosophy. I'm just like really early. So it's still talking about the Greeks trying to figure out if like physical matter existed or not. I'm just like, that's a mood. (laughs) Yeah, huge mood. Um, Okay, so the next question, um, Tiogli asks, I'd love to hear you guys talk about the culture of fic author slash public author. Public there. Let me start that again. Try again. Public. Okay. I'm leaving all of this in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Tiogli asks, I'd love to hear you guys talk about the culture of fic author slash published author transition and all the funky variations of this age of Patreon Mm. and Amazon publishing. And relatedly to that, Esther asked, how did you decide to make the leap between writing fanfic to writing original work? That is a big and complicated question, and I feel like we could probably devote an entire episode to answering that question. Um, I stopped writing fic partway through college just because I got too busy. Um, I had a boyfriend, and I was very, very busy kissing my boyfriend, mostly. (laughs) That sometimes happens when you go to college, yes. Uh, So... I have wanted to be a writer since I was 11 years old. I discovered fanfic after I discovered the fact that professional fiction was written by real people. Um, (laughs) So I was writing my own stuff, and then I was writing fanfic plus my own stuff, and then I sort of drifted away from writing fanfic to be in college and was still writing my own stuff and have continued to write my own stuff. So I think for me, fanfic has always kind of been kind of a training ground um, a way to like practice my skills rather than something that I discovered and then moved on f- from fanfic to professional fic. Like, not so much a level up, just a kind of parallel thing. I think for me, um, I spent a lot of time reading fanfic before I ever started writing fiction. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but like the first stuff that I really wrote was I wrote a hell of a lot of poetry uh, in in high school. I have about 60,000 words of poetry archive. I have like 500 poems or something stupid. And I started writing fiction because I felt like I was consuming all of this product that fan fiction writers were putting out there and that I probably should pay my way mm. by by giving something back. But I also very swiftly discovered that... Darling listeners, I don't know if you've noticed this about me. I like control. You do like control. I do. I like being able to decide my character's personalities Mm -hmm. and dictate the rules of magic and make up my own settings. And so for a while there, I wrote a lot of little AU fics Mm -hmm. where I could just kind of tweak things. So like, yes, but also what if Hikaru and Akira were magic students in university together rather than Go players? And then I was just like, but I could just make stuff up myself and then I would have all the control. (laughs) (laughs) That's very you. So that's kind of how that worked for me is that I, I didn't manage to get very far in writing fic. I was never writing particularly long things and I was writing fic when I was still really learning how writing worked Mm. so it wasn't very good yet and then when I made that transition to control of my own stuff I didn't really go back and apply the skills that I've learned since to writing fanfic Hmm. whereas I think I I started writing original things when I was you know five or so but I never actually (laughs) thought of myself as a writer I wasn't going to be a writer I was going to be a scientist obviously and obviously. obviously, and so I sort of wrote bits and pieces of fantasy books on and off until I was about sixteen, and then I discovered fan fiction, and then I dropped everything mm. and wrote fan fiction <laughs> for about ten years because it was 
a really good escape from all of the other intense study that I was doing. So I wrote it through mm. uh, end of high school, through all of undergrad, through all of medical school, and through all of studying for my uh, specialist exams and working at the hospital because it was a really nice break and I do enjoy control, but I also enjoy <laughs> attention. And it was that's fair. Um, I was part of, you know, writing communities online from the age of 16. I just sort of held on to my friends through different fandoms and, you know, stayed in some fandoms for longer than others, but I could always feel my craft improving. And then at a certain mm. point in my sort of late 20s, I started realizing that I was doing a lot more AUs and that I was writing longer and longer things. And maybe it was actually time to consider whether I wanted to write some original novels. And I'd written a few short stories. I'm not a very prolific or talented short story writer, but... This is incorrect, and you should go check out Freya's story that is in... Analogue. Analog? Yes, my one right now, professionally Because we didn't announce story. this at the beginning in our news section, but we should have because it's cool and shiny. We announced it last episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> so yes, I, I turned to writing original stuff when I realized that the skills that I had learned through years and years and years of writing fan fiction were getting to the point where I could then use them. It wasn't a very big step up to write a novel. Mm. It, is a, it is a step up because there are certain skills that you have to learn and use when you're writing original fiction that don't even occur to you when you're writing fanfic. And I could feel my prose style take this sort of lurching step to the side because suddenly I was having to juggle a lot more <laughs> balls and so none of this like understated you know oh, I'll just yes. refer to oh, this and oh we'll God, just yes. have this beautifully beautiful gem of a metaphor here because you know everyone brings their knowledge oh. of the characters to the table yep, oh. yep. yep. so yep. it's felt a little bit like taking a few steps back but it's come with its own challenges and I'm having a good time that last point about not being able to do the understated thing is a huge mood like <laughs> I, when I was doing Conspiracy and Choir, when I was doing the edits with uh, Novel Wolf, my editor at Saga Press, um, like tons and tons of her comments on the sides were, can you explain what this means? Can you like let us into your head a little bit? What What's going on here? And I was like, oh, but it makes perfect sense because the reader will know, oh, wait, the reader doesn't know because the reader is not bringing <laughs> any of their stuff. But that's what happens when you come from like such a strong, thick background. You Whereas I can feel myself like it. over explaining things now because I'm like stuck in like, this <laughs> paranoia that I'm going to not explain something and have to put it in. <laughs> yes. I'm a lot better at deleting things than I am yeah. at sort of having yeah. to sort of expand things. So I'm just throwing everything at the page and I will just remove as much as I'm allowed to by an editor. The comments that you two left all over my book in the past <laughs> few weeks. Macy, what is this? Macy, what's Macy explain. Macy, why is this? <laughs> this happened, yeah, uh -huh. listeners, this happened because Macy, in the beautiful craft-based writer that she is, was writing from the point of view of a character who was not going to explain shit to anyone yep. including no. the no. inside of her own head yep <laughs> which is a great wonderful character note a beautiful marriage of narrative style and personality but so frustrating but also <laughs> tell us what the fuck is going on macy <sighs> listen okay listeners one of my characters doesn't know what the fuck is going on she just wants to punch things yeah. and the other character is a slytherin like spy yeah and she's like princess. deliberately withholding stuff all yeah. of the time and i'm just like i did this to myself yeah, you did. oh no yeah, you did. i'm in trouble yeah, <laughs> look i'm all for slytherins <laughs> withholding shit in the narrative but you have to occasionally <laughs> give people a little bit <laughs> yeah <sighs> yeah yes Yes, I know. I'm sorry. Yep. I am. I have to say, I am quite excited that each of us comes from like such a different category of background. You know, like like Freya um, was writing original fic and then dropped it for for fanfic, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Macy did like the sequential thing, and I was like doing the parallel. It's neat. That's cool. I like that about us. One day I will stop accidentally writing 700 word poems and thinking that they are short stories. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I handed a short story to several people a little while back and uh, they did not notice there was a volcano in it. Oh, that one. Yeah, I remember that one. That was weird. <laughs> I noticed there was a volcano in it. And a lot of times things go, go over my head because I'm not that literary of a person. <laughs> I'm just a mathematician who fell over in a library and couldn't get back up. Yeah. 
<laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> Let's move on. So, a question from Yue, who asks, the episode about houses made me wonder. How would you differentiate between a house and a home? See, I feel like, I think home can be something that is less concrete. I think you're allowed to describe that a person is your home or like a country is the thing that you think of as your home. Like whatever it is that you have the strongest emotional attachment to and feel like the the homecoming feeling. Whereas if you, a a magical house can be your home. It can be the place where you feel safe and belonging and secure, but it could be smaller than that and it could be bigger than that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical structure. That's mine. That's a perfect answer. I, I, have... I nominate Freya to be our snake in charge of houses and yep, homes. Yep, I have nothing to add. That was a perfect answer. I think that I really like to think about homes in a way that actually the Dresden Files taught me. Mm-hmm. Or rather, Dresden Files smutty slash fiction taught oh, me. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> let's be honest, be honest about it. Yeah, let's be honest. honest. <laughs> I didn't read the books. I read the fanfic. I read one book. I have ne- never read any fanfic for it. I, there's some good fanfic. But um, one of the things that my understanding from fanfic is, uh, is that if a building that you live in is your home, it has these wards, these protection wards, that if you step through someone else's wards, you can't do magic. Mm. Right? And they are more or less powerful depending on how much that place really is, like Freya was saying, kind of your heart. Yeah. Uh, And so that's something to me home is somewhere that has an emotional attachment it's an identity aspect yes and i think you can have a magical house that then becomes your home yes Yes. i also of course completely misread the question and wondered if we were talking about like hogwarts houses (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um the there were some extra questions also which was can there be a magical home without a house yes i think that freya answered that very well yes well i think freya answered it the other way around I think you can have either. I think they, they can be mutually exclusive. Hmm. Yeah. Like Freya mentioned that it can be smaller than a house. So like your home could be a room in a house. Um, for example, if you lived in an apartment building, like the whole building is the quote unquote house, right? But your specific apartment is your home. Now I really kind of want like a shonen or shoujo anime about a dormitory where the dormitory itself is magical. Nice. Oh, that'd be fun. But your home, be your fun. home could also literally be like the big squashy armchair that has come with you through like seven house moves, and mm. that is the thing that makes it home for you. It doesn't. It's not necessarily the house itself. Uh, so next question, Mamzelle V on Tumblr asks, "Hi, for the extravaganza, I have two completely unrelated questions. Mamzelle, we are only answering one of them. <laughs> uh, so uh, their question is." What are your favorite tropes for identity porn and secret identity stories? Hmm. Ooh, yes. I I love manipulating the people around you by not like letting loose hints and like little bits of your identity. I just love Nirvana in Fire. Okay. <laughs> you just love Nirvana. Yeah, like, you just want to talk about Nirvana in Fire, uh, sure. Like, but that's the stuff I love is the the slithering your compatriots. I like complicated jealousy for your own Ooh. alter ego. Yes. Ooh. The whole, Nirvana Ooh. in Fire. Yeah, well, the whole point is this, <laughs> with using this trope in a romantic sense, is that you have someone falling for the two aspects that are both you at once. And so yes. you have your person that you're desperately in love with telling you how much they admire this like anonymous writer or this superhero or whatever and discussing it with you and you having complicated feelings about the fact that they are falling in love with someone who is not you but is you and you're jealous but you're jealous of yourself oh chewy delicious it's a little bit it's a little bit shakespeare's the tempest as well Mm. isn't it with the the identities and yeah, and Vi- yeah, Viola. That's and, not the and, Tempest. Uh, so forth. That's Twelfth Night. No, you're right. Like, it is Twelfth Night. You're, you're right. Like Tempest. You're no. Yeah, you're right. It's very hot in my room now. Like the air conditioning has gone away, and my brain has but stopped yes, working. But yes, it so. is um, very Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. But there's yep. some really great Nirvana and Fire fix that do this as well as Canon does, right? Um, in which our noble prince uh, has been saving up gifts for his lost beloved. <laughs> <laughs> and tells this new mysterious scholar who has wandered through about this lost beloved, and the scholar's like, "Yeah, but it's me." What? Yep. Yeah, it is me though. That's yep. me. And the podcast, Hi. the podcast drama that I mentioned at the top of the episode, Collider Trope, does this trope really well. Oh, no. 
like deliciously well. That is very exciting. My favorite thing about this, like I am all about that, like identity porn stuff because I am like super a fan of like significant or symbolic names. <laughs> like you chain like um, over and over. I keep writing these characters who something really huge happens to them, some like landmark life event. And also, coincidentally, air quotes, at the same time, they change their name in some way, whether they get a nickname or they give up their name as the chants do or uh, some other weird thing. But yeah, I, I that's my favorite part of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Kind of names as an avatar of identity. Mm, that is good. Next question. Victorian Cuddler on Tumblr asks, which of you serpents play video games with a Z the most? And are any of you particularly into one game or franchise? Alex. Do either of you? Yeah, I, I think that I I don't even play that many video games. Like, I play a video game maybe, like, once, twice a year. Do you do either I, of you play video games at all? All through college, I spent two or three hours a day playing this knockoff version, this knockoff Korean free-to-play version of World of Warcraft that I found on the interwebs that could run on my shitty little computer in which I was a dual-classed mage ranger who ran around soloing all of my <clears throat> missions so I didn't have to play with the other humans, which was the whole nice. point of World of Warcraft is you play with other real people. And I was like, no, <laughs> I just want to shoot weird crab creatures until they give up the claws that I'm collecting for the witch who lives in the forest. What game was this? It was called Runes of Magic. Okay. I got really excited when you said runes really slowly because I thought you were about to say runescape. No, Because no, I played no. runescape no, you, a load you, when I was like 14. You misunderestimate the shitty clonedness of this game. <laughs> okay, all right. But um, when I fucked up my wrists in 2015, I pretty much permanently had to put that aside because I only have so many hand action spoons in a day. And if I yeah. use them on video games, that eats them real fast. Well, I think the last video game I played with any kind of regularity was Lemmings. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's... So, yes, I mm. played a couple of games on computers what? as a wee child. And there was one holiday in New Zealand where my parents drove the three of us around the South Island and kept us quiet in the back seat by giving my brother a Game Boy with a single Zelda game on it and then making us pass it back and forth as we drove around <laughs> New Zealand. That was the last time I played a game. I am not a gamer. I do not know anything <laughs> about games. It is just not my wheelhouse. I really enjoyed Mass Effect. I really enjoyed the earlier Dragon Age when I could still play video games. Um, I really enjoyed Age of Empires and Civilization and, oh, um, this fun game called Don't Starve which I like to describe oh, I've heard of that. as it's basically a survival Minecraft game, but styled by Tim Burton. Yeah. It's great fun. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So yes, I, I was a gamer, but not, not since four years ago. Yeah, I have to, I only own a Nintendo 64 now and I have not played on it in years. So I go over to other people's houses to b borrow their game systems to play <laughs> video games. Uh, so recently I've played uh, a good chunk of Breath of the Wild, the new Zelda game. I love Zelda. I have played several games in that franchise. Uh, it's probably my favorite franchise. Um, I've played one Dragon Age game, uh, Inquisition, of course, as you know, dear listeners, I have talked about this before. Um, I have been known in the past to play some Pokemans games. Mm. Um, probably the only game that I play with any regularity is Stardew Valley, because uh, that's the only one that I actually have on my computer. Um, but I can't do it for very long because I tend to like hyper focus mm. and then like six hours have passed that happens. and I have gotten nothing done. Um, also, just as we were talking uh, about games that we played in our wee childhood, my favorite game of my wee childhood was this long ago nostalgia game called Loom, which was this point and click Loom, Macy, Loom. Was it about weaving? It was about weaving, actually. <laughs> uh, sort of, sort of. It was about like this magical like tribe of weavers. And they, something happens and there's, they, they like tear apart the fabric uh, fabric with a capital F, like the fabric of the world, Ooh. and they all like turn into swans and disappear. <laughs> and so you are playing this character named Bob and Threadbare. Uh, Probably a swan. And 
No, he is not. Well, he's not at that point a swan. He does turn into a swan at the end. Uh, spoilers for this like 30 year old game. Um, so you pick up this distaff and you learn songs to play on the distaff. And each song does a different spell. And then you travel around, like, collecting new notes and uh, sort of trying to figure out what happened to the fabric and what happened to your people and where they all disappeared to. Uh, and there's, like, this crazy, scary chaos demon and I was so going to say, with a name like game. Loom, it's either going to be, like, a heartwarming weaving game or horror. And it's kind of <laughs> no, it was like it was like fantasy horror shit, right. and uh, it, it's incredible. Great game, great game. So, a question that we are cheating because we didn't get to ask this of ourselves during the magic episode, and we really wanted to talk about it. So, yep. let's just pretend we got Magali or someone to write in and pretend to ask us this question, <laughs> which we've never done before. Which we've to- we, we would not we would not impugn the moral integrity, Honor. the fiber of this podcast, Freya. Freya. <laughs> People like seeing behind the curtain. They like seeing the nitty gritty. The nuts Says and the, the doctor gets made. Yeah, I don't want to see the nuts. And anyway, um... <laughs> you don't want to open up the torso of this podcast and just see where all the bleeding guts go. I like them on the inside. Thank okay. you. One of us. One of us is a doctor on this. One podcast. of us is a doctor. You like gory things too, Alex. Which of us is the one I who do. accidentally passed out the last time she tried to take a test on first aid? So here's a fun, a fun story about me and Gore. There was this one time um, I was using a lot of alcohol-based mouthwash, oh, no. and it caused 21 canker sores in my mouth all at once. So I Dude, went to the dentist. Are you going to make me take my earbud out until you get <laughs> no, me the No, that's the end of the gore. Sign. That's the end of the gore. That is the end of the gore. So first of all, I tried to diagnose myself on WebMD and found out that I was probably dying of either syphilis or AIDS. That's fair. Uh, so then naturally, naturally, as one does. Or cancer. Um, like I'm dying. So then I went to my dentist and I was like, dentist, I think I am dying of either syphilis or AIDS. And he was like, do you have any reason to believe that you have either of those things? And I was like, no, other than like the weird sores in my mouth uh and he was like okay does it hurt when you pee and i said well no and he says great you don't have syphilis you're fine oh i thought he was trying to diagnose you with bechet's disease which is an autoimmune condition that causes genital ulcers as well as mouth ulcers amazing helping Um, thank you freya (laughs) so so i was like i was like are you sure though are you sure because i read on webmd so he went into the other room and he got this big binder of all the gross dental pictures (laughs) and he was like this is what it would look like if you had syphilis and i perked up and went cool and he lit up like christmas and he was like do you want to see some other pictures of gross stuff and i was like yes i do i do this to my patients accidentally like i will have opened my dermatology (laughs) website to show somebody what uh, molluscum looks like or to show them what psoriasis looks like and then you know possibly have clicked to something else or something else and then i'll open it to like look up a psychologist or something and the patient will be like what is that on the screen i'm like oh that's just that, that nothing <laughs> minimized it's like hmm. terrible hmm. ulcers or something yeah yes I, I we had a question I we did we did um ask the question uh, the question that quote unquote magali asked us is uh where does each of us like to start when designing a magic system and how do we think of them so when I'm designing a magic system, and I've only done a few so far, but to my surprise, this is one of the places where I use the discovery method. And so mm. I'll come up with the basics of it, but most of the fun, interesting parts of it will be as it arises in the story. So thinking of Foresight, the book that I've got on sub at the moment and that you two have both read, mm. all the things to do with contracts and the ways in which it works and what the limitations of it are simply arose through me having to ask myself that question as it came up in the narrative. And my favorite scene where that happened was when one of the characters has to design a spell in order to get a curse off somebody else. And this is a spell that hasn't existed before, and this is someone having to work it out, who is quite an academic person, having to work out from first principles how to design a spell to do a certain thing. And so Mm -hmm. most of what I now understand about the way that magical system works is to do with the thought process that this character went through because this is the character who <laughs> mm. has like gone through and trained himself and read all the books and because he's not very powerful most of the way he conceives of magic is about what are the steps to get this done like he's a very problem solving 
very right. Ravenclaw kind of person. And that for me was very revealing in terms of what the magic can do, can't do, and how you combine spells to get an effect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what that's how I discovered sort of what the limitations were. And because the other character is the one who's completely new to magic, I could conserve that sense of wonder that the other character didn't have because he's grown up with it. So for me, right. balancing the wonder of being able to do interesting things and what the limitations are is really important. And the other mm-hmm. question is where does the power actually come from? And that to me is the central question. Like, is it from a god? Is it from the land? Is it internal to the person? Where is the power actually coming from? I think once you've answered that, then I can start building. And so for me, um, when I'm designing magic for a novel or novel series, because I don't really design magic for short stories. I'm way too much of a pantser. Um, I'm always thinking in terms of society and theme. Like, what is the metaphor that I'm using and picking apart? And what is the question that I'm asking with the book? And sometimes that takes me a little while to figure out. Um, So with Hagstone, the magic is almost all around illusion. And the way it is used in that society, at least, is for illusion magic and control of mental state. And it's really built around the metaphor of being closeted. Mm -hmm. And so the magic people um, are kind of hiding themselves or revealing themselves to the world in a very close metaphor for what it's like to be queer in a society that hasn't really accepted queer people. Whereas in Catalyst, the magic, there are two types of magic, one of which is rarer than the other, and it's all about class. So the mages generate power, they control the means of production, and the catalysts are the artisans who can wield that magic um and they are then the craftspeople you know who are doing the production and how does that limitation of the physics interact and bring to light bring to surface the societal tensions that i want to ask that are really about our world today Mm, i think that way of of making magic really works quite nicely in that final question that I asked in the game that we played, which is what kind of character Mm -hmm. then either reveals something new or throws a spanner into the works of that magical system. Because that that makes it flow on beautifully. Well, I mean, you can see Kiara's position in Catalyst is a hugely clear example of if you have a society where in order to be an artisan, you have to have this type of magic, the person who really is fucked by that system is the artisan who discovers too late that they don't have it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, for me, since all of the projects that I am currently writing or that I have plan- have planned for the foreseeable future are all taking place within the same world, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a greedy bitch and I didn't want just one magic system to play with. I wanted lots of them. And so therefore I needed sort of a unified theory of magic, a reason for all of these different for all of these magic systems to be different in different right. places, but also sort of like a main thing that makes them all work in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Conspiracy of Truths, Inquire of Lies, and everything else that I have planned right now, magic comes from the earth and the water. Uh, so magic is different in different places for the same reason that you go on a trip, you have tap water in that new place, and it tastes different to the tap water back home. Uh, for the same reason that soil is a different color in different places, um, just it's part of the part of the land. It comes from the earth. So I really like small magics. I like magics that don't have like a big flashy impact on the world because I like seeing how a very very small thing can have these kind of rippling consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, I think the the Black Witches in Conspiracy are probably the biggest magic thing that I have, but even they are really, really rare and really limited in what they can do. Um, and then in uh, the new manuscript that I'm rewriting right now, um, the magic system is just that approximately one in ten people can touch a metal and they know what metal that is. <laughs> And that was supposed to be really, really small. That was supposed to be so small. And it's not. It's not. It, once you start thinking about it, it actually has like huge long ranging implications. So, yeah. I'm just realizing that Kiara's attempts to politics are basically that magic. Yeah? In Catalyst. Tell me more. 
Kiara manages to strike a deal that um, hinges on a contract to melt down and determine the metal composition of various oh. ores. Yeah, because you're saying oh, the catalyst yes, yes, can yes. sort of tell once they're working with something. Well, the catalyst yep. can't tell, but the mages think that they should be able to, and the mages just don't understand how metal or magic works. Because yeah. the mages would never get their hands dirty. The nobility would never get their hands dirty on the farm. Mm. Right. Yeah, in the, the book I'm writing at the moment, the world that that's set in has a similar thing to what you're describing, Alex, where the type of magic depends on the land. But it's rather than me thinking of it in terms of it comes from the soil and it comes from the water, I'm trying to think of a fantasy way to say magic is epigenetic. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> because basically magic, yes, no, is like a, it's either something that you have or you don't have as an individual. Uh, but the way that your magic manifests depends on where you grow up. Mm. Yes. So, no. Yeah. Mine yeah, is the same way. To do with, yeah. So it's to do with the how something is expressed in you. But you can have someone who is, if they're going to be a mage, they'll be a mage no matter what. But just what type of mage they are depends on where they grew up. Right. Because yes, th that's kind of how how it works in in my system as well. Because like, if you are born in one place, but you spend twenty years in a different place, and you have the magic, then you are developing the magic of that new place. Shall we go on to our last yes. final question? Let's do it. Uh, so it's another question from Yue because Yue asked a question earlier in the episode, but this is so great and you know how much we <laughs> love games. Yue has sent us another game. Uh, for the <laughs> last extras, as they say, uh, I asked y'all to mix your OCs and relationship them to see what happens. Uh, this time, try mixing your settings and objects. Write down one setting from your book and on another pile, write down one object or any non-sentient thing. Draw one from each pile. Would the object cause alarm in the setting or does it make sense? Would anything explode or would the setting be the best thing to ever happen to that object? Example, baby dragon in underwater android mermaid land might have a blast eating all the fish or be very sad not to breathe fire anymore. <laughs> See, I'm just sad that none of us have baby dragons in our I books. I know! Well, it sounds like a short story thing, though. I believe that you probably would in your mermaid one. I have technically dragons in Conspiracy and Choir, but they're not mentioned. No. Well, it's like an offhanded mention. Oh, yeah, the dragons in the desert. No one actually cares about them. <laughs> we have modified this game slightly. We are also including characters. Uh, it's going to be kind of like Clue or Cluedo, nice. as you Commonwealth people call it. Uh, so oh. a character, a setting, and an object. Uh, and I am going to draw them from the pile. Drum roll, please. Here's I think we should, you should probably keep try redrawing until you get one from each. Like, one from uh, each person? One from each person. Yes. Okay. Stuff. Yeah, yes. I can do that. It's going to take a while. Maybe. That's all right. We can cut the thing. I got one from me. I got one from Macy. And that's a Macy one as well. <laughs> all right. So. Macy's doing the hold music. Thank you. <laughs> Macy is doing the hold music. Listen, we can move to Tchaikovsky if you'd rather. So our first combination is Ilfing, my character on a uh, beach in modern Scotland, which is from uh, Macy's book Hagstone, with a sword, which is from Freya's book A Sword on Two Fingers. I feel like ilfing and sulking on a beach is perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, that's flawless. Yeah, beautiful. So how does the sword come I feel come like the it, sword Alex? might belong to the selkies. The sword could belong to the selkies. The sword could... Because it's a selkie beach specifically, yes. right? Yeah. All right. So... The sword could belong to the Selkies. Ilfing could be, like, if the sword belongs to Ilfing, what is he doing with it? Not a whole lot. Ilfing is not really a fighter type. What, what if the Selkies are very confused and doing the whole, you know, watery bint emerging from a pond with sword thing at oh, him? Oh, giving him a sword? That <laughs> yes. would be adorable. I love it. Let's go with that. Ilfing and... is like, why is this happening? Please take this back. I don't want to be king. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> reversal of the chant trope, actually, because yes. yeah. like the whole chant thing is that you like throw your or you you um, sink your homeland beneath the waves and you do it by symbolically like throwing <laughs> a rock into a body Alex, of water or Alex, a handful Alex, of Alex, earth. What if he threw the what? rock in and it hit a selkie and now she's coming after him with a sword? And now she throws the, the sword back <laughs> in. I liked it before it was funny because like a sword is made of metal, which is like earth. Yeah, right. And yeah. so like like that's kind of cool. <laughs> Um, and he's let's... like, I think I've been given somebody else's homeland. What should I do with this? <laughs> let's do another round. Okay, I okay. have a Freya thing. I have a uh, that's Freya place. 
That's a Freya place as well. All right. So we have Yannick from Freya's uh, book Un- Unbroken, right? Uh, it doesn't really have a title. I will decide on the title at the end. But yes, Unbroken he's is the He's kind of a title. punchy liege boy. He's a, a liege boy. We he's like a, him. He's a, an boy. engineering slash mercenary captain general kind of boy. Yeah. Uh, the setting that we have is post-apocalyptic San Francisco, which is from my self-published novel in the end, which is just thinly veiled Good Omens fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> and the thing that we have is a shape-shifting bastard familiar from uh, Macy's book Hagstone again. So I feel like in any kind of yes. post-apocalyptic setting, Yannick would immediately become a community organizer because he has oh, a yeah. very organized kind of brain. Yes, yeah. he'd be like, right, we're going to rebuild this. This is how shit. we're going to set up patrols. This is how we're going to do this. Like, he would just be delighted to have an enormous community of people that he can be in command of because obviously he's the best at being command. I'm not quite sure how this particular bastard shape-shifting familiar would fit in. The, the, the cat slash crow slash cormorant thing. I think he'd probably just end up using it for information gathering. Like, there'd be people going That's and working fair. on a, a wall and the Cormac would just be sitting there looking at them. And the people there would know (laughs) that Yannick will be very disappointed in them if they don't get it done. You know what? If Francis was there, Francis could help just train a shit ton of normal Francis would be the bastard familiar. Let's be honest. That's true. But, But I'm talking about training a shit ton of just ordinary crows to wander around looking ominous so that everybody thinks the familiar is spying on them, even when it's just a normal fucking crow. That's true. Yannick wouldn't <laughs> think of that, but Francis absolutely would. <laughs> Suddenly every crow in this post-apocalyptic city is potentially buying you disappointedly because you're not doing your thing properly. <laughs> I love it. To, to save Next. us some time, I have constructed a... Uh, I've artificially constructed one because I wanted to make sure that everyone had a chance to have one of their characters, one of their settings, and one of their uh, objects. Uh, so Because for, we are a democracy. Because we're a democracy. So this one is a Macy character, a Freya setting, and an Alex object. It is Kiara in the Vlava fish market with a counterfeit <laughs> gold coin. Take it away! <laughs> Ooh. I made it as bad as possible. You're welcome. Kiara is going to get in so much fucking trouble. Yes, yeah, she is. She is going to get so arrested. <laughs> so arrested. So incredibly arrested. So this is a very large, large fish market that smells a lot of fish and has a lot Kiara's of... Kiara's kind of used to that. Yeah. yeah. And Kiara is the punchy that. blacksmith. Yes. Kiara is the punchy blacksmith with a habit for like pretending to be places and sell things that she's not really meant to be mm-hmm. in possession of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just imagining her like pushing up a little stall of like <laughs> knives shaped like fish and she's like, this counts. This totally counts. This is definitely yeah. seafood. <laughs> and someone's like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> oh dear, Kiara. I... Is she trying to pass off the counterfeit coins or is somebody trying to pay her with the counterfeit coins and getting punched? I feel like the latter would be more hilarious. Yeah, and she's like, the fuck are you trying to do? I can sense that there's magic on this thing. Come back here so I can put a knife somewhere uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that would be a mess. <laughs> it, would, it would just be a there mess. There would be fish everywhere. There would be fish ever- everywhere, yeah. I have an important question, Freya. Um, Given that we have fish market scenes, there is at least one scene with like fish flying everywhere, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Have I? Have you not read that scene? I I might have done, but I can't remember if that was just like an off cut or actually going in the book. It's the one where uh, Francis throws an octopus at Yannick. (laughs) There is yes, there is an enormous fish fight scene in my book because I got I really missed writing comedy. And so I'm it's a very to have good a few scene. actual comedy set pieces in this book. Nice, I've written nice. one of them. Another one is coming up. Darling listeners, we will leave you with the image of a stoic sword boy flinging octopi at other people's faces. Yep. Thank you for joining us for this extravaganza, dear listeners. These were amazing questions. Have a good night.
Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I have a couple pieces of news for you. First of all, it's just over one month until my second book, A Choir of Lies, comes out on September 10th. This is the follow-up book to A Conspiracy of Truths. Not really a sequel because you can read them in either order, but kind of a sequel because the two books are a thematic pair. Conspiracy talked about fake news and the destructive power of stories, and Choir is about fantasy tulip mania and the constructive healing power of stories. It's hope punk as hell. If you live in North America, it's available for pre-order now, so go buy my book, tell a friend, or recommend it to your local library. That would be super, super helpful. Now, that's already pretty cool, but I think that you need another piece of thrilling news today. Two weeks from now, it's Worldcon, and all three of us will be there in Dublin for it. And not only that, we are doing a live show. Yes, you heard me right! A live show in front of people with our actual real faces. Uh, if you're going to be at Worldcon, please come to see it. It'll be on Saturday at 11 o'clock. If you're not going to be at Worldcon, never fear. We're going to do our very best to record it. So if all goes well, that should be coming out as episode 44. Related to that, Hugo Voting closes tonight, Wednesday the 31st of July. So if you haven't finished your ballots, remember to do that thing. Thank you so much once again for nominating us to the Best Fan Cast category. Our fellow nominees are all so amazing that I will be genuinely delighted for whoever ends up winning. Uh, go check them out. Besides us, it's the Cood Street Podcast, Fangirl Happy Hour, Galactic Suburbia, Our Opinions Are Correct, and The Skiffy and Fanty Show. Oof, I've talked for a long time, though. The next episode goes up on Wednesday, August 14th, and we'll be talking about political shenanigans. One of the tentpoles for that episode is the original fic, Cheesecake and the Art of Political Warfare by Sakana Sara, posted on Shusetsu Bang Bang. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation on our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And hey, thanks again for these questions. It is so great to have you along for the ride.